Today uh, is Halloween. Today is Halloween. We're going to focus on that in just a minute. Next week, by the way, we'll be starting a new message series as we consider how to restore gratitude in, a, in an age of ingratitude, how to be grateful when so much around us, so much of the time around us, people are ungrateful. We'll start that next week. But today we're going to look at Halloween from a, a biblical perspective. Uh, this night, this night coming up of, of all times in the year is if you step back, if somebody had never been, never even heard of Halloween and watched America do what America does on the night of October 31st, they would be puzzled, confused, blown away, and probably a little bit unnerved, wouldn't they? And what happens in the craziness of our culture around Halloween. Uh, Halloween is a major industry in America. Now, these stats are from 2015, uh, but I'm sure uh, other than 2020, when during COVID, we almost didn't do anything with Halloween, uh, I'm sure these stats have just grown over time. Uh, for example, in America, people spend about $7 billion on Halloween. It's second only to Christmas in events and holidays. Uh, and it and by the way, from 2005 to 2015, the amount Americans spent on Halloween more than doubled. So it will continue, no doubt, to increase. The number of people in America celebrating Halloween, about 160 million Americans celebrate Halloween. 68 million of them dress up in costumes, and about 13% of us dress our pets up in costumes. So God bless you for that. The largest expense at Halloween, not candy, but costumes, $2.5 billion spent in costumes. About $2, million, excuse me, $2 billion spent on candy each Halloween. It's a major industry, a commercial industry in our culture. What I want us to consider for a few minutes this morning is a Christian response to Halloween and what that would look like and what I think is a solid biblical response for Christians to take to the culture in Halloween. To do that, we're going to ask and answer a few questions. And the first of those questions is, where did Halloween come from? Where did this, this thing we do uh, come from? And where did it originate? Uh, the Druids, about 3,000 years ago, the Druids had a pagan celebration called San Wayne or Soween, depending on who's pronouncing it. Uh, it sometimes is, is pronounced Sawin as well. But it rallied around the, the god, the pagan god of the dead, Sawin. Uh, and they believed, and this is, the Druids were in what is now Europe, uh, they believed that on the first night of winter, our October 31st, that Sawin released the dead to travel the streets and to terrorize people living in the homes they had lived in. So they believed the dead would come back to life and come to those homes, uh, and that demons would come out uh, as the dead on that night, go back to the homes. Uh, so they would honor, on the first night of winter, they would honor Sawin, and they would honor this ritual of the dead in the streets. And uh, since Sawin permitted the dead to roam the earth at that time, the dead were also permitted to wreak havoc however they wanted to, uh, so the Druids believe that on this night of the spirits of the dead the, and the dead coming to their former homes to haunt and terrorize the living, they had to appease the dead. And let me insert right here, this is a fundamental belief of paganism in all its forms. 
Uh, paganism is the belief that we must appease the gods. Typically, those gods are associated with nature or with astrology or the occult in some way. But a fundamental belief of paganism, which has its uh, activity in things like Wicca and, and witches, uh, Satan, uh, Satanism and Spiritism, uh, and astrology, by the way, is, is paganism. The, way, the, the belief is that we have to uh, monitor and appease the gods of nature or nature itself. So believing this, the idea that they could appease this god of the dead, they would put out food and gifts and uh, the benefits of the harvest they would put out on their porches so that when the dead came to their homes, they would see these gifts and take them and, and, and go away, hopefully. But in the event they didn't, they also carved replicas of dead spirits out of gourds to frighten the dead who had arisen on that night. Uh, and they would put them out on their porches in hopes to, that they could frighten them away. They also believed that on that night, the dead would inhabit, incarna, uh, dead would inhabit animals and incarnate themselves, themselves, incarnate themselves in animals such as cats and owls. Now it's not hard to see how this tradition has influenced modern day Halloween. The whole idea of trick-or-treating. Uh, people coming dressed up as demons and ghosts and goblins to your home and you appease them with treats, hope they'll go away, and the bit that they don't, you carve jack-o'-lanterns to try to scare them away. See? Uh, the fear of black cats and monsters and creatures of the dead all, all arise out of that. So the Druids had really what the original influence was that became Halloween. Now Along with that, when the Romans came along, they implemented an autumn festival to reverence the pagan gods. There it is again, paganism, to reverence, reverence uh, the pagan gods associated with the harvest. So every autumn at about the same time, uh, the end of October, they would have this celebration. Uh, often it would involve debauchery and uh, all kinds of things you, you can imagine, but they would have the autumn festival, the Romans would, to reverence the pagan gods. Now, the Christians came along, and Christianity was born into this culture, the Roman Empire, which celebrated and worshipped a myriad of gods, uh, mostly involved in paganism and worship of all kinds of gods and rituals and celebrations. So Christians began to learn how to live for Christ in the midst of that culture. And that's the key for us. It's always the key for us, living for Christ in our culture. The question to always ask and answer is, how does your relationship with Christ impact your decisions, impact your behavior? How are you different because of Christ? How are you different because of Christ, whether it's on Halloween or not? Every day of the year, how are you different because of Christ? That's the question that you always have to, to put forward. So the third influence is Christianity itself. Along about the 7th century, the Christians started All Saints Day on November 1st. And All Saints Day was designed as an alternative to the Druid celebration and the Roman celebration uh, of the harvest and, and uh, Samhain. So they implemented All Saints Day, November 1st, to celebrate and recognize followers of Christ, especially those who had given their lives for Christ, but any followers of Christ who had died in the previous year, they celebrated them on All Saints Day, November 1st. So the night before All Saints Day was called All Holy Eve or All Hallows Eve, which gives us our name, Halloween. So when you call it Halloween, you're actually echoing an early Christian established tradition of an alternative to 
what the pagans were doing in their time. Now, to be perfectly honest, uh, the way that Halloween survives, the way that it, the way that it survives, the way that it is, uh, is because it's been secularized in our culture. Much like so many things that secular culture and unbelievers adopt, they try to take out the spiritual element of it and keep what they like, the opportunity to dress up, to party, to eat candy, whatever it might be. So Halloween in our culture has been heavily secularized and turned into a commercial industry, like much of the things that, that happen in our culture. It survives primarily for three reasons. And if you take these, things, these three things out, think about it, Halloween probably wouldn't survive, even as we have it today. It doesn't mean the Christians couldn't keep an opportunity to remember saints, but the way we do Halloween would probably disappear if you take these three things out. The first one is grown-ups who like to party. That's just it. They, they want an excuse every year to get together and to party and to dress up when they do it. Grown-ups, more than children, motivate Halloween. We say it's for the kids, but let's be honest. It's not. It's for grown-ups who want to party. The second thing that keeps it going is the industry. Imagine what would happen to the candy industry and the costume industry if we stopped promoting Halloween. If suddenly grown-ups said, we're just not going to do that anymore. That's why they commercialize it, keep it moving, keep it motivated. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And the third reason it keeps going is Hollywood. Hollywood thrives on horror and Halloween. Hollywood thrives on gore and fear. They build a whole industry around Halloween. Just turn on your television from last week to next week and notice how many channels are constantly running Halloween movies, horror movies. It's a genre in and of itself. Hollywood often drives the narrative in our culture for anything we do and therefore drives what we purchase. Again, if Hollywood tomorrow were to say, you know what, we're no longer putting our money into horror movies and Halloween, what do you think would happen to Halloween? By next year, it'd probably be gone. It's been heavily secularized, but still Christians need to ask and answer the question, how should we respond to Halloween? It's not going away. It's here. Knowing the history of it, how should we respond to Halloween? This morning I'm going to walk through uh, multiple scriptures. I, I, I'm going to do this just moving along. You, you have them in your worship guide. They'll be on the screen, but I'm not going to pause and take time for you to look them up this morning because unlike a typical message here at First Baptist Church where I read one text and we break that down and we dig deeply into it, I'm going to give you sample texts from scriptures that apply to these particular responses Christians have to Halloween. And underscore that, these are sample texts. What I'm, I'm not drawing out just cherry-picking from the Bible. These texts, these biblical passages, represent many, many passages in Scripture that underscore uh, what we are talking about this morning. So make a note of them, go back later and reread them and find others. Do your own study on this, how Christians respond and should respond to Halloween. I want to offer that Christians have three choices in how we respond to Halloween. Three choices in how we respond to Halloween. And, and Christians uh, apply all three of these every year. Some of us have been doing it this year. 
The first of these is unacceptable. Biblically, it's unacceptable. Number two and number three, as we'll see in a moment, is acceptable biblically, and it's a matter of choice of which one you apply because they're both biblically acceptable. So three, three ways, three choices we make in how Christians respond to Halloween. The first one is to participate as if it doesn't matter. To participate, to act as if it doesn't matter. It's just a fun night. It doesn't matter how you dress up, what costumes you wear. It just doesn't matter. Now, the problem with this one uh, is that it ignores the pagan history and the evil history of Halloween. It it ignores uh, the rich Satanism that's embedded into Halloween. Uh, that's the biggest problem with it, and alongside that is that the Bible clearly teaches Christians not to participate in evil things, not to overtly adopt the practices of the world around us and participate in those as if it did not matter. Let me give you a couple examples. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. Now, in that verse, the term translated mimic means something like favor those or like them. In other words, believers should be able to recognize the difference between what God approves of and what God doesn't approve of, and we do not favor, we do not participate in those things God does not approve of. Jumping to the New Testament, 3 John chapter 1, 3 John chapter 1 verse 11 John is writing to young believers and he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Now in that passage, the word translated evil uh, means more like act the way they act, emulate their behavior. And that's precisely what we're doing if we think to ourselves, well, it doesn't matter whether I participate or how I behave, uh, at Halloween. Now, both of these passages, by the way, are, are originally applied to moral issues. Don't behave the way the world behaves on moral matters. You should live a holy life. By extension, they apply to the topic of Halloween in that when you know something has evil origins and pagan origins, uh, and when you know the Bible explicitly tells you not to ignore those origins, you don't have the option of participating as if it doesn't matter. Of just saying, well, it's just it's just one night a week, it, it, uh, one night a year. It makes no difference. I'll dress up and do what I want to do. This is particularly true because even to this day, uh, Halloween night is a favored night of Wiccans for witchcraft, for sorcery, and for Satanism and spiritualist. In fact, Satan Satanism teaches that Satan is most active on Halloween night. So they have entire rituals built around Halloween night. They, have, uh, they look forward to it. They celebrate it in an entirely different way than you see it secularized in our culture. So again, we cannot ignore the history of it or the evil embedded in it. That hasn't changed. So that's not an option for us. To participate as if it doesn't matter, that's not an option. Now the next two choices we have to respond are options for us. And at first they sound quite different, but in truth, lots of believers uh, hold both of these views and the scriptures hold them in balance, these applications in balance in scripture, as we'll see in just a moment. 
before I see this, before I say this, let me let me remind us. The Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and other places that Christians are to respect one another's choices when they are biblically based, when those choices are biblically grounded, even if they seem to be different, uh, and even if our, if our application of Scripture seems to be different, if it's biblically grounded and it honors God, we should respect those choices. In passages like Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul actually says, even if you disagree on the application you're making of Scripture, if, if it's biblically grounded, the disagreement is not the issue. The issue is division. Never cause division among believers just because you disagree in application of Scripture. If, again, it's biblically grounded. He says in Romans 14, it's far worse to cause division, intentionally cause division, than to simply disagree on the application of Scripture. So both of the next two are options for believers. The first one is not. Participate as if it doesn't matter. That's not an option. The second option is, uh, second choice is an option for the believers. You can, you can abstain completely. You can abstain completely. You can say just, no, we're not participating in any fashion or form in Halloween. The Bible supports this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle says, hold to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. The phrase literally means any appearance or any form of of evil. Again, it's a moral statement. Your life should exhibit God's goodness and God's holiness, but there's a very practical side in it. If you have uh, an opportunity to participate in that which is not holy and that which is explicitly evil, you may say, no, I'm not participating in that. I'm not doing that because I want to stay away from every appearance, every form of evil. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. Again, the apostle says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Instead expose them. That is to say the believer has an obligation in this world and in this life to say evil is evil, sin is sin, God is good, and we're not God. <laughs> and we need Christ. The believer is the one that stands on the word of God and identifies evil and says that's what it is, and calls it out for what it is, exposing that. So abstain completely is a, is a valid, credible Christian response. And sometimes Christians take that response and pair it with the next response. The next response is to speak light into the darkness, uh, to seek alternatives and opportunities to utilize an event such as Halloween, to bring the gospel, to speak light into the darkness. For example, believers may say, well, we're not giving out candy at our house and we don't dress in costumes, but we're going to participate in the fall festival. We're going to give out tracts at Halloween. We're going to cook hot dogs for our neighbors at Halloween and, and let them know we love them, though we're not participating with them. You see what I mean? So Christians may take both of these and they're both balanced in Scripture or they may just take one or the other. Speak light into the darkness. Uh, with this response, we are uh, following, we're echoing the role of those early Christians in establishing All Saints Day as an alternative to the Druid and pagan festivals, a day to celebrate believers in Christ, to recognize what Christians has done, have done. In this version, uh, we are uh, bringing the gospel to people that are 
participating in the culture around us, and we're also providing an alternative for people who may say we don't want to participate in that, uh, but we'd like to celebrate what God's doing. In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus said uh, to the disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? In other words, we are the light. We are God's truth to the world. We should seek opportunities to show the difference between the light and the darkness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul's approach to evangelism is a very telling example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22. Uh, this is Paul's philosophy of evangelism. And notice when he says this, he never means he compromises the gospel. He doesn't compromise holiness. He doesn't compromise in any way. But he says, I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel so that, they may, so that I may share in its blessings. What did he do? He brought the gospel and their language to his generation. But it was still the gospel. He never changed that. Uh, now, this approach can be a little bit difficult. To be real honest, it's the easiest way to go is to say, uh, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll participate as if it doesn't matter. Or to say, I won't participate at all. But when a church like ours or believers like you say, I want to speak light into the darkness, we have to also say, I want to be sure I do not compromise. What can I do to speak light into the darkness in this situation? Uh, we've already celebrated our fall festival, so I don't have to do that again. But we do need to underscore how well that was done by you who volunteered and participated to bringing those trunks. We showed the stages of redemption history by the trunks. And we shared the gospel at the trunks. And we gave out gospel uh, tracts, this, this good news track, the card you have. We gave those out. There was no question where we stand. And what's interesting to remember and important to remember is other people like us are looking for a safe place to bring their kids. They're looking for a place to bring their kids and to bring their families where the gospel is demonstrated, where it's safe. I should add the unsung heroes of Wednesday night were the security team. God bless them. And I would offer, some, some folks said 1,400 people were here, probably. Uh, we didn't get a head count, but you get the idea. Three hours of steady flow of people. And one of the things I loved about it the most and, and took home from Wednesday night was the energy, the excitement, the overall energy. People wanted to be here. And they loved what you did with the trunks. They loved what you did with the gospel. They loved the atmosphere of goodness and safety. Now, we also say, hey, when we do something like that, what if someone comes in a scary costume? Funny thing about reaching lost people is they're lost people. Okay? So that's where you say, okay, we're not going to compromise, but we're going to provide the opportunity to do what we, we need to do to speak light to the darkness. Those are our options. Those are our options. As I've said, I don't think the first one is an option for Christians. You can't, you can't know the Word of God and apply it and participate in Halloween in our culture as if it does not matter. 
You can't abstain completely. You absolutely can support that in Scripture. You can't provide an alternative. You can speak light to the darkness. You absolutely can support that in Scripture. As we wrap up this morning, the last question I want to ask and answer is, what should you always remember? What should you always remember and, and how it applies to Halloween? So there's three things I want to wrap up with. Because each of these things also implies a temptation. And for those of us who seek to speak light to the darkness, we have to pay attention to these temptations. We have to pay attention to this. The first one is to take evil seriously. Take evil seriously. Always remember the element of evil in our world, in our culture, and we have to be careful not to in any way uh, imply that we are on the side of evil when we speak light to the darkness. The temptation with Halloween in our culture and in our churches uh, is to not take evil seriously. The temptation is to diminish that element of evil, to diminish the impact of evil and what Satan is doing in, in culture, to even think that Satan's not real, that, that we can uh, play games and make fun of Satan and, and, and it's not real. Uh, but he is real. Uh, so always take evil seriously. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Uh, the Bible routinely speaks against the occult, witchcraft, sorcery, Satanism, all of these things. We can't take that lightly. And the Bible also warns Christians about permitting those things into your life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, as opposed to the works of the Spirit, the works of the flesh are obvious. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions. A sample listing, Paul says, of what should not be in your life if you're a follower of Christ. Uh, this admonition goes all the way back to the Israelites and God choosing the people of God out of the culture. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26. You are not to eat anything with blood in it. You are not to practice divination or witchcraft. Verse 31. Do not turn, do not turn to mediums or consult spiritists, or you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And I want to point out one reason God says that is when, when the believer... Uh, even if you think it's an innocent activity, you pull out your horoscope, you, you get out those tarot cards, you, you participate uh, with a Ouija board, what you're basically doing, you're doing two things. First of all, you're opening yourself up to Satan's activity in your life, to those works of the flesh associated with Satan and with evil. But the second thing you're doing is saying, I do not trust God to guide my future. That's what you're saying. I'd rather rely on some paganism then trust God today. I'd rather read my horoscope than get into the Word of God. That's why God finishes that statement saying, I am the Lord your God. Back in the 1930s, um, Detroit, Michigan, uh, started launching a three-day festival event around Halloween. Uh, the three-day festival was called Devil's Night. And for three days, people were encouraged to practice mischief around Halloween, the 30th, the 31st, and November 1st. They were encouraged to practice mischief. Uh, no surprise, it started getting kind of out of hand. 
And uh, about 20, 30, 40 years ago or so, the nights of mischief became nights of rioting, of vandalism, of burning cars in the streets. And, the, and then it became so popular that the police could hardly keep up with it uh, on the nights around Halloween night. So Devil's Night became a real problem. Like, that's a surprise. So uh, the city council got back together and they said, maybe if we don't call it Devil's Night, it'll solve the problem. And they started calling it Angel's Night. The devil is still the devil. Satan is still Satan. Christians of all people must take evil seriously. Never forget, though our culture might secularize events around us, festivals around us, they secularize these things. We know that the real battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with the spiritual, spiritual forces of darkness, with Satan himself. Take evil seriously. Don't let Halloween tempt you into diminishing what evil actually is in our culture. Secondly, fear God only. One of the temptations that comes along with Halloween and horror movies and encouraging people to be afraid, to, to uh, focus on horror and gore and costumes and to scare each other. The temptation is to minimize fear and to displace fear. And here's what I mean. Believers in Christ, the Bible teaches you have no one or anything to fear in Christ. You have nothing to fear. No one or anything to fear in Christ. So remember that at Halloween. The culture encourages fear as if it's unimportant. But the Bible teaches that misplaces fear. It diminishes it and misplaces it because as Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I'll show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. I say to you, this is the one to fear. Meaning, God and God alone deserves your fear just as he deserves your worship. And you're saying, Pastor Bob, that I should be terrified of God? Well, let me tell you, there's a healthy fear of God that we should have. Because when we start treating God as all warm and gooey, we forget, I am the Lord your God. We forget he is the only one that we should fear. The only one we should fear. Now, here's the good news, number three. Trust God's grace. Trust God's grace. Why would Jesus remind us, why would he even encourage us to think of God as the God we would fear? It's because when we fear God, we realize the power and the impact of his grace. We realize what he has done for us in Christ. We realize what an offense our sin is to him. When we are distracted by our culture to misplace fear, we forget who really deserves our reverence and our fear. Our fear for God is not horror. We, we, don't, uh, we don't look at him and we are horrified by him. But like Isaiah, we bow to our knees. We realize what our sin is really like when we face our God. And then we grasp his grace. And we trust God's grace and what he's done for us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 that it's God's kindness. When we are faced with fear of God, when we realize the difference between our unholiness and sin and God's holiness, 
We grasp His grace. And Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. There is no moment greater in your life when you realize, I do not deserve the love of a holy God. But He loves me. I don't deserve His grace, but He's shown me grace. I didn't deserve Christ to die on the cross for me, but He's done that for me. He submitted His Son to the evil of this world to be punished, to be crucified, executed, so He could raise His Son from the grave to demonstrate and display His power over the evil and the darkness in this world. To say once and for all, when you are afraid, you have nothing to fear in Christ. Satan himself cannot snatch you out of God's hands. Don't be afraid. Celebrate Jesus and trust God's grace. Paul also wrote to Timothy, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Maybe it's you today, you realize you've been focused on the secularism of Halloween and the world. You've been scared by scary movies. You've forgotten who God is. Have you forgotten who God is? And if God shows you your sin, your response to His grace is, God, forgive me. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, do it today. Imagine from now on, the rest of your life saying, I'll never forget when I trusted the one true God, the God who could have banished me but chose to save me. I'll never forget it was Halloween 2021 that I trusted Christ, the only true God, as my Savior. What a day that would be. Believers, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. I want to encourage you to let God search your heart. I want to encourage you to confess to God, if God shows you that you have been minimizing evil, you've been dismissing sin, you have been participating in Halloween as if it didn't matter, I want you to confess that to Him. Let Him show you who He really is and let Him show you the impact you can make on your culture this Halloween and moving forward. Imagine being the light in the darkness, taking the gospel to people who are lost in our generation. And maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Here or at home, I want to give you an opportunity in a moment to do just that. Let this be the Halloween that you turn to the one true God. You cried out to Him in your sin and you found that instead of banishing you away, He called you home and He'll receive you when you trust Christ as your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life today. That's your God who loves you so very much. Every day, not just today but every day. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, in this room, there are believers, those among us who know that we've trusted Christ as our Savior. But God, we haven't been living the light in the darkness. We haven't been standing up for you against the culture. We haven't been showing the difference of the truth and of the love of Christ and the grace of God and the holiness of God in our culture. Maybe we've been participating in unholy things. and Maybe it's not Halloween you're bringing to mind, but it's other things we've been doing and the way we've been thinking and the way we've been living. God, for us as believers in Christ, I pray you would show that to us in our hearts. And God, that you would expose that so that we can ask for our forgiveness today. We confess our sin to you, God. Cleanse us. Fill us with your spirit that we might serve Christ again in our culture. And God, I pray for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior today. 
I pray for that one or two in this room. I pray for those at home. That they would open their hearts to you this morning and trust Jesus Christ, the one true God who came, died on the cross for their sin, and that's alive today, God, empowered to save them from their sins, to call them out of darkness and into the light. So God, it's for them and with them, I pray this morning, God, if there's just one here this morning, one at home, I pray, God, for them and that they would pray this prayer of faith with me, putting their trust in Christ today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've been walking in darkness rather than light. And God, I realize the truth of the gospel today. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today and you can save me from my sins. So Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and into my life. I repent of my sins and turn to Christ today. I ask in faith you would forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. And I ask in faith you would give me eternal life in Christ. From this point forward, I will serve Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray.